Jason DeMarco. I make Tsunami, and you're listening to the Tsunami Faithful Podcast. Give it a listen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Tsunami Faithful Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Argumento, and with me tonight is... The founder and CEO of TsunamiFaithful.com and Tsunami News, Paul Pascrillo. And we've rehired... Darrell Maddox, the lone stepchild of Tsunami Faithful Podcast at times. Yep. And, and we our hired lo- Daniel, but we'll rehire him later. Daniel. <laughs> Dude, you, you can't you can't start swearing in the, the beginning of the podcast here, okay? Jesus Christ. Yes, mom. <laughs> Anyways, uh, we're gonna make this short and sweet because really you people are just here to listen to one person. Yeah, you're not here to listen to us. You could give a crap about us. It's Jason DeMarco's show tonight. We all know it. We'll get to it fast. Yes, we will get to it very fast. So we're not gonna be really talking about anything. Um but we do have to do the news, obviously, because there was some news. Not that much, but there was some news. So let's get into it from Facebook and to you know Twitter. This is Tsunami News. I have the ratings. Uh, the ratings. In front of me this time. So do you want me to just? Oh my go God, real you fast? actually have them in front of you? Yeah, I actually do. Yay! All right, here we go. Bleach did nine hundred twenty-one thousand. Samurai Seven did seven hundred seventy-two thousand. Cashier and Sins did six hundred fifty-eight thousand. Eureka Seven, the same thing. It lost no viewers. Um, <laughs> Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood six hundred twenty-eight thousand. Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex five hundred sixty-five thousand. Bleach went back up to six hundred forty-one thousand. Uh, Samurai Seven went to five hundred eighty-five thousand. Cashier and Sins five hundred nine thousand. Eureka Seven five hundred seventy-one thousand. Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood four hundred fifty-five thousand. And Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex four hundred eighty-eight thousand. So, yep, those were the ratings. They did pretty good God. this week. Damn, you sounded like an auctioneer just then. <laughs> you could read them on the site, guys, all right? Yeah, but we don't have to be that fast about them. Too late we, we were. All right, moving on. No. What do you guys think of the ratings? I think they were good. Um, they, I, I like the fact that Udeka 7 did not drop at all. Um, no, I like that, too. And I like the fact that actually... Between Ghost in the Shell at 2.30 and then back to 3 at Bleach, where we did the repeat, Bleach actually went back up to 641,000, so that was pretty good. Exactly. And Ghost, and Ghost in the Shell went up as well at uh, 488,000 at 5.30 a.m., so that was, that was very good. So I, I'm glad to see the ratings doing this, and hopefully they continue. They're pretty good numbers, but I would like to see better, guys, so make sure you watch Tsunami more often. And as you will hear in the interview. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to say anything more about that. Anyways, um, trending. Yep. Next piece of news about trending. Um, we didn't trend a lot of stuff, but we did trend Toonami in the United States along with Cash and Sins at the same time. And uh, which was really, the, the one thing that was really weird was, is I haven't seen anything about Toonami trending worldwide, but both Cash and Sins and uh, Ghost in the Shell trended worldwide. Yep. So, um, that was awesome. Yep. And, hey, think about this. We had college football and a UFC thing going on. So, to get things going worldwide on a night like that, that's pretty good, guys. Yeah, we have a lot. I mean, we we have a lot of competition on Saturday nights. And I think, you know, even though the ratings aren't where I'd like them to be, and you know, the tweeting is helping, and we are, I think we are making an impact, you know, in the face of such competition. Yes, we are. And I, and I do want to put this out there because um, I went to bed early last night because of RockCon. Um, thank you guys for sending me the news. I appreciate when you guys do that because it makes it easier on me uh, when I'm in the, you know, wake up in the morning and I can 
just throw it out for you guys. So uh, thank Sounds you again. Lazy. <laughs> yeah, a little we, bit but we were all pretty wiped out last night we're like we got we we did the jason and marco interview and then we went right into tsunami and it was like we're i'm dead i have to go to i have to be at, up at 8 a.m you were pretty much tired from rock on you had to be up pretty early and Darrell was being Darrell. <laughs> yeah i was yeah i was kind of i was tweeting drunk last night people and i say funny things when i drink at times yeah and, and your plus, we were doing tsunami faithful after dark, and it was just it was it was it was exhausting. So we had to go to bed early. Shh! Don't tell anybody about that. What are you talking about? There you go. I like the way you did that. Awesome. Anyways, <clears throat> we didn't say anything. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> last part of the news, so we can get to this interview, um, was the promo from last night. Yep. Um, the promo that we saw last night was for Criminal Threats again. Um, building they actually, you a better cartoon show. Yes. Damn and right. It was very good. I, I I am very pleased with it. Apparently that we we might we're probably not going to see it as a commercial is what we're hearing. Yeah. Which apparently, I think is yeah. Apparently Jason tweeted this morning that uh, it, it's not going to be the commercial we're going to be seeing during the week. And that's pretty sad for me. I think it's pretty awesome if it's something different and new. If it's something we haven't seen before, that's awesome. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's fine. But, you know, I, I want to see these promos used more than just once. You know what I mean? Yeah, I get you. I, I don't want just to be like, okay, we made a promo. That's awesome. The uh, thing is, though, I think this promo, <laughs> if you don't know what's going on, I feel like this promo was more for the fans. If you don't know what's going on, you don't know when Toonami is by watching that promo as well as you do watching the real lineup promo. You know? Right, you're right, and you know, I I think a lot of a lot of questions about that will be answered in this interview too. So, um, but I, again, I I would love to see some I would love to see some of these promos being used more than just once too, because you know, I mean, just doing a promo once for like, for example, Casher and Sins being on. Mm. Hold on, wait a minute. Did you say Casher and Sin was doing a porno? Promo. <laughs> oh, promo. okay, my bad. Sorry. I made the joke well, last night on Twitter, man. You're you're late. <laughs> it's okay, you know I'm always late. Yes, you are. All right. Without further ado, and our stupid jokes, should we just get into the Jason DeMarco interview? Yeah, but first, Darrell, you're fired. Yep. Damn. We're gonna hire Daniel back later. Hey everybody, we're back. I'm just going to stop talking and let him introduce himself. The man you've all been waiting for is here on the podcast, Mr. Jason DeMarco. Say hi, Jason. Hello, Jason DeMarco. Like the man said. Yep. Uh, <laughs> we have been trying to get you on this show for a long time, and uh, finally we, we got you here. Uh, big deal for us, and hopefully big deal for you, but... Uh, uh, you know, because we're all huge fans, and, and we're really excited. Hopefully big deal for you. <laughs> Well, thank you for having me. I um, I'm just blown that people still care enough about Tsunami to even do a podcast. So thank you for everything you guys are doing, and it's something that uh, never fails to amaze me and uh, warm my heart. In all honesty, so it's my pleasure to talk to you guys. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully, I didn't harass you too much with the Tsunami News Twitter. 
No, not at all. I mean, that's why I, you know, I think Twitter is great. It's a great way for me to hear direct fan feedback. It's in fact the main, you know, it's the main reason I started, do, you know, being more present on Twitter. I mean, I've had a Twitter account for years, but it was mostly just to follow up with friends that have moved out of town. But, you know, it's been great to interact with Tsunami fans. I mean, I get a lot of questions that I can't answer or don't want to answer, but I also get a lot of honest feedback. And even if I don't agree with it all the time, it's always good to hear what people are thinking. And that's something we didn't have when we used to do Toonami. I mean, we would have to go to like the Toon Zone boards and scroll down and find comments to find out what people thought, you know, other than just kids coming up to us. Um, so it's been a very interesting shift in the way that uh, we've interacted with our audience to be honest um speaking of twitter uh, you've gotten a lot of you've gotten this question all the time so i thought we'd just get it out of the way so we can get to the real interview sure. is dbz or dbz kai coming back to toonami <laughs> or what do you uh, think not, of the fans i yeah i i'm not i'll just <clears throat> lay it out for everybody i'm not allowed to talk about what we may or may not be getting so when people that's probably the number one thing people are interested in, and I don't blame them, but I'm not allowed as an employee of Tark Cartoon Network to sort of speculate on what shows may or may not be coming or what I'd like to come or what deals are in place, and Dragon Ball Z is on that list. What I'll say about Dragon Ball Z is it is one of my favorite action cartoons. It is one of the best action cartoons ever made. I own the complete manga. I've watched all of it including as much of Kai as I could watch, you know, being that I'm an adult with a job and a child. And I love Dragon Ball Z. But do I think Toonami has to have Dragon Ball Z to be Toonami? Absolutely not. <coughs> and I don't think there's any show that has to be on Toonami to make it Toonami. Toonami is just supposed to be a bunch of great shows. That's what it is now, thankfully. That's what we've tried to always have it be and Dragon Ball is definitely the show that we owe our biggest success to along with Naruto um, but you know as far as is Toonami the same without Dragon Ball Z of course it is it's just not that it's, it's I think it's more that a lot of people who grew up with Toonami grew up with Dragon Ball Z and when they watch Toonami now, it feels different from their childhood, so therefore that's a bad thing. And that's perfectly natural. Uh, and I think people that people that do things for years at a time, they, uh, sorry, my dog is barking when I let her in because she can't stand the idea that I would ever do anything without her around. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, you know, Toonami fans that grew up with Toonami, I think for a lot of them, the nostalgia factor is strong and their immediate reaction is this isn't what I grew up with. Therefore it's worse. And I think that's a bad impulse that people have with nostalgia. Um, and I have always fought against it in my own, like, you know, the things I loved as a kid. Um, I have, I recognize that the reason I love them is because I loved them when I was a kid and they made an impression on me, but that doesn't mean they're amazing works of art as an adult it just means that there were some you know you have to learn to separate true aesthetic value from nostalgia so all i can say is i think tsunami is great with or without dbz i think dbz is great 
I think DVZ fans in general are great, but the second anyone starts telling me Toonami sucks without DVZ, that's a argument that I, as the co-creator of Toonami, first of all, why would you even tell me that unless you're just trying to cause stir, stir up shit, basically? Um, and second, I just disagree and think it's an invalid thing. If you want Dragon Ball, you can get it anywhere pretty much in the world right now, and you should be because it's an amazing show. Um, but it doesn't have to be anti-Nami. Now, that said, um, I'm not ruling out that it might not come back to Tiami at some point. We love Dragon Ball, so if ever there was a way at some point, that's something we would not be averse to working out. We're not in any way against Dragon Ball. We love that show. So that's that's all the news that's fit to print about Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, and Dragon Ball Z Kai and GT. Even. Uh, basically, never say never, but... Probably not. Never say never. That's nice. awesome. That's awesome. Never say never. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now let's uh, now let's get into the good stuff. Um, when when Toonami was first conceived, what was the original? What was the overall goal of, of the block? Um, well, Toonami's conception was, um, you know, originally it was basically replacing i forget what it was called the adventure hour or something which was it was just basically they had some time to fill this was back when cartoon network had plenty of time to fill did not have that many original shows it was a lot about Hanna barbera reruns still and mike lazo creator of adult swim uh came to sean akins who he had hired away from tnt and said i need a block of action cartoons uh we've got some Hanna-Barbera shows, I need you to help me figure out how we can do some action cartoons like a in a two-hour afternoon after-school block. So Sean went with, got together with Michael Cahill, who's the current editor for, he's an editor for Adult Swim. He does all the bumps. He's in charge of all the Adult Swim bumps. Sean and Cahill made this reel that I wish I could put out into the world. I don't know where it is, though, but they, they used amazing music and they put together stuff with comic books and I think it was Spawn at the time because Sean really loved Spawn and uh, video games and skating and all the things that he loved. Um, and at the time, I was actually working at TNT and Sean um, asked me to help him figure this thing out. So we had basically every afternoon brainstorm sessions where we would try to come up with names. We had a list of about 50 names um, where we would try to come up with cartoons that we thought we could get. Um, and that's kind of how it was born was the need to fill this two hour block of programming. Uh, and it was actually Mike Lazo's suggestion to have it be Moltar, um, because he thought a familiar face that tied it back to Cartoon Network would help us launch it. Cause he kind of wasn't sure if he believed what we were saying that we thought that kids would, young boys in particular who we were trying to get watched that we thought they would respond to this. Um, he, he, he was a bit skeptical. So he kind of was the one who made us put Mopar in. Um, not that we had a problem with it, but it was definitely his direction. And, uh, Tiami was born. Um, quick question about Moltar. Uh, what, what, what was the uh, reason to put him in CG? You guys didn't use any of his uh, footage from the cartoon. Um, well, Sean's always had a fascination with CG, and that was more his decision than mine, but he definitely, and I think it was a smart one, he wanted to separate this 
from the old Hanna-Barbera and from Space Goes Coast to Coast, which was sort of starting around that time and had been airing for like a year. He didn't want there to be any kitsch at all. He wanted to try to do something that he thought was cool. Um, and he was always fascinated with CGI. And he also, we had the idea for the Clydes, which is what we call those little fine guys. They're called Clydes. So the first Clyde is that little UFO-looking guy. His name is Clyde 49. Yeah, his name is Clyde 49. So um, Clyde 49 was something we created at the same time in CG, and we knew we would do little pieces with Clyde 49 doing stuff, and we thought, well, let's just make him in CG too so it at least ties back together. And we also felt like we could do some cool, you know, what was at the time uh, for TV, it was cutting edge, uh, you know, comping and stuff or we could put images in monitors and stuff we thought we were hot shit back then um <laughs> so there was like so there was you know several reasons for it um and i think all of them were pretty smart uh sweet sean was the one making those decisions um and i think they were good ones i i agree i you know i i love the uh, you know because before toy story like it was around the time toy story was coming out and it was always new to see cg stuff so it was it was really cool to see that as like the host you know cg host yeah yeah i mean it wasn't common at the time for sure um and you know we got better as we went along but at the time we were just kind of stumbling around in the dark and all of that animation was done at turner studios in-house um so it was just it felt really bomb and pop and uh, it kind of was. Um, and of course, the block went through many changes. And, and originally, anime wasn't really a part of the block. But when it did show up, uh, did you guys consciously change the block to reflect that, or did you try to keep it the same for as long as possible? No, it was. Um, I mean, honestly, it was just a reflection of our taste. I mean, Sean and I. There, there was. I don't remember the name of it, but there was a store in Atlanta where. We lived there. Uh, there was a store that was um, basically it was a it was a video rental place for Japanese um, expatriates that lived in Atlanta. So it was like everything in the store was Japanese. And Sean and I would go there, and he would, you know, we would rent movies, whatever they were, and then we would kind of we would illegally dub them and share them with friends. But we. Uh, we would rent Dragon Ball Z stuff, you know, but in Japanese, just because we thought it was, you know, badass. And this was in the early, early days of the internet. So there wasn't even a way for us to even know who anyone was or what the hell was going on. Cause it was, you know, we certainly didn't know of any fan sub rings or anything like that. I didn't even, you know, I had no idea about any of that. We just loved it. And we had grown up on, a diet of all kinds of cartoons, you know. Um, uh, me personally, one of my formative experiences as a young person is seeing um, Star Blazers when it was on. It aired on, you know, I lived in upstate New York and it aired on my cable network at like six in the morning. So every morning when I would get ready to go to school, I would watch Star Blazers. And it was the first cartoon I remember getting swept up in and taking seriously and not just, and being worried about whether characters were going to survive and people died and there were real consequences and there was like danger and romance and things that I had never seen in cartoons before. And for me, it made a huge impression that and like, you know, the force five cartoons, particularly guy King and for some Vanguard Ace and, um, 
you know, we both watched Robotech, um, and what that was a huge thing for us, Akira, like, you know, basically the stuff you could get in America in the 80s, which wasn't that much, you know, Warriors of the Wind, which was the butchered Miyazaki that the, that Roger Corman put out and did his terrible dub. I had that thing and wore that thing out. So it was, anime was always a part of our diet of action and cartoons and things that we absorbed. So we just, when, when we were looking for like, well, what's some more good action animation? I mean, at the time, the pictures were slim. And we thought, well, there's this amazing work being done, you know, out of Japan. Can we see if we can get some of these shows? Um, you know, early on, it was Robotech and stuff. That kind of fell into our lap because we, we said, well, what, what about Robotech? Is that still out there? And that's how Thundercats, too, which isn't really an anime, but, you know, sort of... <laughs> anime um so that's kind of how it started there was no conscious decision like oh we want to transform the block into anime our thing was are these amazing cartoons and honestly for a long period of time there wasn't a lot of good american action animation there were cartoons like gi joe but the animation looked like and Sean in particular, <laughs> let's so me. I mean, it just did, you know? Like, I love those G.I. Joe cartoons, but let's not pretend that they look good. So, um, Sean in particular was a huge visual, he's a visually oriented person, and I'm almost more sound oriented, and he's, he's totally visually oriented. So, he was obsessed with anything that he thought looked beautiful. So, the better quality the animation was, that was almost more important to him in some ways than story. Um, story was more important to me. So certainly a big driving force was we want to get newer stuff on Toonami and get this old stuff off because we were showing, you know, roulette, which was just like whatever Hanna-Barbera stuff we could throw on there. I mean, and all of that wasn't even really stuff we liked that much. It just was stuff that we knew we could fill the two hours with. Um, it took us about three or four years before we got to a lineup that we really felt like every show in here is solid. You know, it was usually what it is now, kind of, which is you're really pushing a couple new shows or a couple shows you really believe in, and then you've got some other shows that you happen to have through rights issues or whatever that you don't have to pay much for. So you're using that to fill out the time because you don't have the wherewithal to put every single show, have every show be a huge hit show, you know? So I'm giving you very long answers, but that's okay. Let me know. If I need to, let me know if I need to shut up. No, nope, I'm <laughs> sure people will like the long answers. No, you can, you can go on forever. It's fine. We can, go, we can take, we can have a six hour podcast. It's cool. I feel sorry for your minutes. <laughs> it is. The uh, weekend. Yeah, Jose's Jose's just got to edit it. It's fine. Yeah. Um, all right, next question. Uh, what, what triggered the change uh, from Multar to Tom 1? Um, we always wanted to do it. I mean, we felt like Multar was cool, but at a certain point, um, we wanted to sort of create our own universe, and, and we felt like the Clyde was a good first step, and we felt like we... We basically got to a point where we felt like we were able to pull off a character with CG animation that was original. And it took us a while. It took about a year to develop the ship, the absolution and, you know, Tom. And there were a lot of changes. There's a lot of back and forth with the network. There was a lot of money spent. Um, 
And it just was something we wanted to do because we wanted to continue to have Toonami be its own identity. And, you know, certainly Cartoon Network and Toonami are tied forever, but we wanted Toonami to feel like its own little island in the middle of a sea of television. And we felt like it was a good idea to have a, a host. Um, you know, from the earliest days, we knew we wanted a host. And originally we were going to have we were actually, for a while, we were going to have, like, a teenage girl and a robot AI that she was going to talk to, and we just couldn't work it out, and I didn't feel great about it, so thankfully that idea went away. But we we thought about all kinds of different things, and it just seemed like after we had done enough tests and we had enough animation that we we could do it. Um, and, you know, luckily the, the network decided to let us um, and at the time, you know, Clay Croker, who did the voice for Boltar, he was doing a ton of Space Ghost, and he was doing... He was just all over the place, and we just felt like we were kind of asking too much of him uh, in his time. Um, so it was definitely an amicable divorce, if you will, but it was definitely something we felt like was time. Um, we felt like Moltar is still a character on Cartoon Network and other shows, and that it would be disingenuous of us to write Moltar in the way that we really wanted our voice to come out, um, and that was Tom. Tom represents how we wanted to speak to viewers. Moltar was a pre-existing character who was also on another show, and we didn't want to do a disservice to Moltar fans, but we wanted to have Toonami be its own thing. So it was just sort of growing up. That's actually really cool. Um, it is. <laughs> and, you know, and it, I also remember one of the reasons for Tom 4 originally was he, Moltar and, and the three Toms before Tom 4, they all didn't have faces. Um, so, yeah. so the reason was, you know, it was too expensive to animate faces. Correct. So I always, and I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so I always thought it was kind of cool that they never did have the face, um, you know, yeah. on these hosts. Turns out a lot of people did. Um, I just, I'm not, I'm not going to take the heat for that one. That was Gil Austin, who is the other, you know, guy that I make Tsunami with now and has been there from the beginning and is a very important part of the whole thing. Gil and I always felt like we did not need a face, but Sean, um, always wanted to try it and he basically overrode us. So, um, I'm not saying I, don't like the Tom that we made because I do. And I think that the criticisms were valid, but overly harsh. And I think by that time, Tsunami was old enough that we were suffering from a little bit of that same nostalgia thing that happens now. Um, but the result was that though it was easier to do facial animation nowadays, it's still incredibly time consuming and it costs more money. So as a result, we, we did less original animation, which was what Gil and I were worried about. So um, that one I'm going to say is Sean's fault. In <laughs> <laughs> Tom's for defense, uh, I, I do like the design of it. I just think it was poorly introduced. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, that wasn't Sean's fault. That really wasn't anyone's fault. That was basically the network wouldn't give us the money. You know, look, I know Toonami fans are kind of spoiled by Intruder and Lockdown and Trapped in Hyperspace and all the times that we said, well, why don't we just, let's not just change it, even though it's just packaging, because the argument we would always get back from people was, look, it's just packaging, no one cares, and we always thought, well, 
for the five people to do, wouldn't it be cool if there was a reason why things changed sometimes? You know, you can't make up a reason every time you change your look, graphics or whatever, because that's retarded. But yeah. you can, <laughs> you, you know, you can you can make it cool for people. Um, and we would have done that with Tom Four, but we didn't, you know, the network wasn't going to give us the money. They didn't necessarily feel like we needed to do it in the first place. So that wasn't, um, you know, that was sort of, the yeah, it was it was just economics, you know. I mean, it was just yeah. economics, and I, you know, I don't, I don't always agree with my network's decisions, but I always understand them. I mean, you know, I might not make the same decisions in, in the same situation, but they always have reasons, and they're always very carefully thought out and researched. And whether or not I agree with them, ultimately, I love my job and I'm happy to work there. So I just move on. You know, you can't win them all, and that was one where we couldn't get the money to tell a compelling enough story and Sean felt strongly enough that he wanted to go forward with this new look and re-energize Toonami. He was hoping it would re-energize Toonami that we did it anyway. It was like a light switch as opposed to a, you know, as opposed to a story. And as it turned out, people were not happy about that and I don't blame them. Um, but it was something that I at least had no control over and Gil had no control of. The majority of people that worked on Tsunami had no control over. So It's unfortunate. Um, yeah. Well, we, we went off a little bit of a tangent, but we learned something that we didn't even have in the lineup, so that's cool. Um, and, and knowing is half the battle. Yep. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Anyways, back oh, way back to the past again. In a time when the internet was still young, before Hulu, before Twitter, Toonami, I remember this, Toonami used to engage its audiences with Toonami Reactor. How did that, how did that project originally start? Um, that actually came entirely, that was not our idea at all, and we actually didn't want to do it at all. Uh, that entirely came from uh, CartoonNetwork.com and Paul Condolora because they were starting to think about streaming shows, and they didn't feel like they had a good platform or interest to suddenly throw a switch and have, you know, all the Cartoon Network shows over the years streaming. So they thought, well, why don't we try try it as a Toonami thing? And we, we thought, okay, yeah, sure, we'll try that. And we thought we could be a testing ground for anime. You know, we could see if certain things would do well on Reactor. Would we move them to Toonami on air, you know? Um, and at the time, we had tons of deals with all kinds of distributors going on. So it was very it made sense to have another platform and, and sort of have another point of deal leverage when you're dealing with distributors. Um, you know, and it was, and it worked out pretty well for a while. Um, but we actually had very little to do with it other than we would kind of look at, we weren't even in charge of picking the shows, but we would bless the shows. You know, we would, they would ask us, here's a list of shows. We want to do X, Y, and Z. What do you guys think? And if there was something we really hated, they would listen to us and take it off. But otherwise, they kind of ran the whole thing. We just helped. Um, that was actually corporate synergy working in favor of the viewer for a change. Hmm. Awesome. Um, you might have just answered this question, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, was, was it difficult to get content for the web? I, it, it doesn't sound like you, you went through that yourself, that it was another uh, entity of the company. They didn't have, they, they didn't have any problems. No. Nah. I mean... You know, when you're dealing with um, just, you know, people distributing anime, you're dealing with a lot of Japanese companies and Japanese culture and a, and a lot of, uh, they were slow a lot of the time to react to things like the needs of the internet. Um, and, you know, it would take a while for 
you to hear back from headquarters, you know, wherever that was. But it wasn't it wasn't ultimately that hard to convince. That was during the anime boom, and so everybody felt like they were going to be the next Pokemon, so everybody wanted their shot. So it wasn't that hard if you were offering people a, a way to get their content out. They pretty much were interested, you know, nine times out of ten. All right. Um, and now we're going to get into the intruder. When when that first happened and engaged audiences directly with viewers deciding the outcome, you know we all remember we remember the Peter Cullen promos talking about the intruder was how Toonami was going to change forever. How did the success the how did the success of that project shape the rest of Toonami for that era? Um, well, it was uh, it kind of helped and hurt to be honest. I, I we the intruder was. Um, the intruder was my idea because we wanted to change Tom. Sean felt like I'm tired of this little kitty Tom. I want to age him up. And he wanted to just throw it like a light switch. And it was my, I was just, you know, full of beans and ideas. So I was always, you know, shoving things in Sean's face because at the time he was fully <laughs> my boss. You know. So I said, well, you know, what if we told a story? What if we did this? And then we could have to become a, you know, we could have people vote and blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like, I had all kinds of crazy ideas. We actually had the idea for Intruder and Lockdown at the same time. One almost, you know, Intruder was almost Lockdown and vice versa. So I just, you know, had all these ideas, and he took the idea for Intruder, got the money to do it. It went way over budget. We spent way too much money. And uh, we got in a bit of trouble at the network for doing that, and as a result, people were reluctant to get to to let us do another one for a while. Um, but the, <laughs> it did well. And, and that was before, you know, now with television, with network TV, you can measure metrics of a couple minutes. Like you can measure Nielsen ratings, not minute by minute, but pretty darn close. Back then, there wasn't really a way to know how Intruder did in terms of ratings. So really, and you didn't have the internet, Facebook and everything blowing up. So it was more about the perception you know, in general from our own network and everybody liked it and thought it was great and we got sponsors and it made money. So it, it all ended up being a really good thing and we were allowed to do it again. I mean, and that's kind of how it works in TV. You try something and if it works, you're allowed to do it more. That's all you ever get. People don't, people don't shove piles of cash at you unless you are someone with a proven track record or you're coming from success. Um, and it's no, it was no different then. So we basically just, all it proved to us is we can tell a story. We weren't happy with it. There were, weird, there were a lot of problems with it, we thought, but we, we had a good basis for how we would continue. Um, and we had an idea that we could create a continuity and make Tsunami a universe unto itself that could tell little mini stories and people reacted positively to it. And over the years, we've heard many people, many people have told me how they were watching when Tom died and they couldn't believe it and they were so shocked. And we didn't, we just thought it would be like a cool little extra thing while you're watching cartoons. We really weren't trying to inflate our own sense of our character or his importance to Toonami because Toonami is always supposed to be the shows and the packaging and the promos. It's supposed to be all one big piece that all works together and makes itself greater than any one whole. That's the, that was always the goal, and that's what Intruder was just a way to try to further that goal. And so we did get the ability to do Lockdown and Trapped in Hyperspace because of and the comics that, that we did. 
Um, um, you know, it was that, and it was Dragon Ball Z. I mean, let's be real. Dragon Ball Z is what made Tsunami what it is. Um, that show becoming a big hit opened all the doors in the world. And then I think we were smart about how we built off of that show's success. But that show was the first real indicator to our network that Toonami was something that they needed to give resources to. Um, yeah. Speaking of, speaking of Tom's death, a lot of people, a lot of, I've asked a lot of people and they felt that there was, that was their Optimus Prime dying moment. So, <laughs> that's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm glad. I'm very grateful, and I, I always will be. And I'm grateful that we got to do it, and I'm grateful that people, anyone cares, even one person. But the idea that it would have that impact on someone's life just blows me away. But I guess that's the power of when you're talking to a, a kid, you know, and it, you can leave a huge impression, which I've discovered over the years. Um, and I'm, you know, that's why I'm just always. You know, even when Toonami ended, I was just proud that we had a legacy that of, 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 you know, we actually affected some people's lives, which is a wonderful thing. And it's why anyone who gets involved in media, it's why we do what we do. You know, whether it's, you know, I don't care if you're making commercials or you're making movies or you're making TV shows, it's always the same impetus. So I'm very grateful that people, that anyone feels that way. Um, all right. So, so music. Music, obviously, a very important voice on Toonami. In an interview once, you you and uh, Sean Atkins said that you guys would yep. trade music, similar music, and that's how you felt that you found uh, similar taste. Did, did this eventually well, lead to Ninja Tunes library becoming used? Absolutely. Um, DJ Food Volume 4. Uh, DJ Food was one of the guys from Cold Cut, I believe. Um, and at the time, Ninja Tune was a very young label, and Sean and I were both collecting vinyl, and I can't remember what other records we traded, but I came to visit him from college, and we hung out for about a week, and we traded a bunch of music, and I I think he gave me Portishead, and I gave him DJ Food um, Volume 4, and... DJ Food was something we just kept going back to, and we bought all the vol. You know, there was like six volumes, and then we, you know, I knew that it was on this label, Ninja Tune. So early on, we reached out to Ninja Tune and, you know, formed a relationship, and then we're able to start using. I mean, we've used a Phila Brasilia song. We've, we've used a bunch of Ninja Tune even before the big label-wide deal we did. We had the occasional Ninja Tune song. You know, the <laughs> I think the big tsunami trailer that actually aired in movie theaters or whatever i think that has a feel brasilia song it's a cold cut remix it's an interesting song whatever it is um so it just was yeah we had a similar aesthetic we were both listening to a lot of hip-hop and drum and bass drum and bass was a new thing at the time it was really sexy sean actually cut his original reel of what tsunami was supposed to be his pitch reel he set it to a goldie song you know so it was like we both just sort of had very similar taste in music at the time. Um, and that just sort of easily led to, you know, he was the one who contacted Tommy Guerrero to do those very, very early Tsunami beats. And um, I was the one who contacted Ninja Tune and then just, yeah, just kind of flowed from there, the Ninja Tune thing. And then we ended up having Ninja Tune 
licensing agreement with Ninja Tune for years, maybe the decade, I think. And we don't do it anymore, but it was a long time. And, you know, Herbalizer did the theme song for IGPX. Um, I mean, you know, we just, we had a great relationship with them. They were great people. We loved them. We loved their artists. And it just felt right. Uh, I agree. Like, I, I went to go see a, I went to see Amon Tobin in concert last night. And I'm just thinking the whole, like, it's an amazing show. If you haven't seen it, go. If it oh, comes yeah, near, I found, yeah. Go see I've it. Yeah, Isan yeah. is amazing. Uh, you yeah, know, I'm just off. thinking, man, this needs to be on a Toonami intro somewhere. <laughs> yeah, he's incredible. I mean, he's the one. We probably use more of his music than anybody's over the years. And he's the one person that my editors that are always like, can we can we go back to him and get, some, get his music again? Yeah. <laughs> they just love using his music. It's so cinematic and it's just so. It's awesome. Um, yeah. So you may hear you may hear Emma and Tobin on, on the me again just because we love him, and you know we might have to go get him back. Um, and, and obviously, you use these uh, Ninja Tune uh, songs for, for intros. But whose idea was the custom intro for for all these shows? That was actually I think that was more of a group idea, but it might have been Sean. I mean, I don't really know whose idea it was because it was like at the time we had so much time to fill. And we we needed to have intros, but every show has a totally different intro, and particularly the anime. And I know this is going to probably piss off every anime fan, but tough <laughs> shit. Uh, they have two-minute-long intro songs that are usually a pop song, and, and the closing is even longer. And that's a tradition in anime. You know, that's like a that's that's something that's happened for years and years, and 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 anime fans love it. But what what tsunami was supposed to be was was the gateway to that kind of thing. And what, what we wanted was something that kind of immediately took, got you into the action. And we just knew that we can cut these open. They don't have anything to do with the story. They're the same every episode. So why don't we just cut our own in our style? And then what we'll do is we'll change it up now and again and keep everything fresh without us having to... It was just an easy, cheap way to keep things fresh, to be honest. And it's not really more complicated than that. It's pretty down and dirty. Um... And we felt like, you know, it got, you know, and a lot of times with the opens to an anime, depending on how it was constructed, you know, the, the, the credits will be in kanji and then there's American subtitles. It just got messy and it kind of freaked out network people. And we just, we were trying to not Americanize these cartoons, but we were trying to make them, you know, palatable to a mass audience because our belief was that these cartoons should be huge. We wanted everyone on earth to watch Dragon Ball Z. And we thought if, if, you know, if, if, if this helps in any way, and also it's an easy way for us to update our block, then let's do it. Um, so I don't know who thought of it. It, it. it was probably Sean, but it might have even been Gil. It was just something we decided to do. Now, um, when Adult Swim Action... It came about, you know, I thought it was a very good move. Cowboy Bebop went to Adult Swim, which, you know, huge fan. Uh, glad it ended up there and, and not Toonami, simply because we got to see it with less edits. Um, yeah. But how did how did the event advent of Adult Swim action reshape Toonami for all those years? How, how did you decide what was appropriate to air on Toonami versus Adult Swim? I mean, it, it you know, it, it definitely had an effect on Toonami. I mean, we did the Adult Swim action block... Our, like we were the person people making that um so it was like you know for us it was a broader palette to pick up more shows but it, you know and but it was also a way to like 
if we had a show we loved and we knew we couldn't put it on Tsunami without significant edits, we, we could move it to Adult Swim. Um, so for us, it was sort of, it, it basically allowed some of those shows to have an outlet that we would have had to chop up to put on Tsunami. And, you know, people, you know, some people have, have a sense of humor about the like Tenchi digital bikinis and some people don't. You know, and so our preference was always to edit them as little as humanly possible. But it's very difficult when you have a network that your median age of anyone watching is seven years old. It's very difficult to to deal with some of the sex and violence and drinking and things that happen. That it's just the difference in our culture is what's acceptable in an age. And we have advertisers, and they aren't cool with some of that. So for us, it was just good because we wouldn't have to butcher. Bebop, you know, and Bebop could be Bebop. Uh, and we were the people who, you know, showed it to Lazo and pushed to get it on the air and made a big deal out of it. And it was watching Bebop that made us want to work with Steve Bloom. Um, you know, I mean, Bebop was a seminal show for all of us, and including Mike Lazo, who still shows it, as, you know, as much as he can. So, um, it definitely, it didn't so much like limit Tsunami as much as it did allow us to pick up shows that we would love to have put on Tsunami, but we were realistic about, you know, how much we would have to edit them. Now, um, now Tsunami did something totally different with IGPX's little micro-series. Did, did the success of that and Big O's run on uh, Adult Swim trigger the idea of producing anime yourselves, Some, like Big O Season 2 and, and IGPX? Yeah, it did. I mean, you know, it was basically that it was, anime was doing really well, it was doing really well in general, and I think and Cartoon Network started, you know, like you do, you start wondering, well, why are we paying everybody else for this stuff? Can we make can we make it ourselves? And they knew that the only people who knew anything about it at the network were us. So we decided to use this micro-series possibility as a way to sort of backdoor a pilot. You know, we thought, well, Let's work with somebody, see how we can do, and maybe people will like it. You know, we didn't we didn't know. Um, and reaction to it was good. It wasn't, like, amazing or anything, but it was good. But it kind of, people thought it was interesting, and it really got the attention of, of you know, the anime studios and people, you know, all the studios in Japan and people that make things were, you know, it kind of perked everybody's ears up. Um, and Big O Season 2 was almost, was, 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 Lazo thinking about the same thing, like, well, you know, do we, is there one that we want to try to do? And we, you know, we will, I don't remember if we were offered the opportunity by Bandai or if we came to them, but either way it happened. And I ended up um, executive producing that season of Big O. And, you know, we had a really great relationship with Bandai in general. And we loved all the people at Bandai who now most of whom are fired or moved back to Japan, but they are wonderful people. Um, and we got along really well. And it was sort of because of that relationship that we got the opportunity to do Big O. And then, you know, Bandai hooked us up with Production IG, who we also formed a very tight friendship with. And, it just was a natural thing that when we were offered the ability to do a show, um, we we wanted to do it with Bandai and Production IG um, because we knew that they understood us and they trusted us and uh, we could get a show that we were proud of. So we did. 
Now, uh, would Toonami ever consider producing another anime themselves at this point? And uh, if we can, we'd like to suggest Dead Man Wonderland Season 2. Gee, I wonder why. Gee, I wonder why, Jose. Hmm. I wonder why. <laughs> I, um, I'd say that that's extremely remote. I mean, it's a very different market. It's a very different world. Um, and there's just less money for that kind of thing at the current Cartoon Network. Um, I will, again, never say never. Um, and it's not, you know, if somebody came to us with an opportunity, yes, uh, we would love to do it again. I would, you know, I would absolutely love to, uh, for Dead Man or any number of other shows, uh, or an original. Um, but it's probably unlikely. I won't say it's impossible, but it's unlikely. All right. Um, and you know, IGPX coming back to that show real quick. I'm, I'm a huge fan of that show. I think it's a very important staple uh, in anime history. I mean, for me, it's one of the first real big, successful U.S.-Japan collaborations. Yet, the show is so underrated and so hard to find at this point. With Bondi out of the picture now, uh, you know, they're, they're not distributing titles anymore. Uh, who owns the home video rights for this? And uh, could could well, you guys put it up on iTunes and HD? or, or Probably not a Blu-ray, but, you know, could that happen for that show? Because well, I want more people to see it. Well, thank you. First of all, uh, I really appreciate it because that, that show, you know, I put a lot of work into <laughs> um, <laughs> and I rewrote a lot of it or wrote a lot of it and worked on the concepts with Hongo and, you know, a uh, very, very personal effort for me in that show. So thank you. Um, I can't get into the rights too much. All I can say is that Cartoon Network does not own the rights anymore to that show. Um Basically, there's something called turnaround, which is a show does not do very well in network, and it's something to do with taxes. We can write it off; it's like a tax write-off. But in order to do that, you have to let go of the rights of the show. Um, so I don't know who owns the rights of the show because I don't think it's Bandai either. It might be Production ID, but I have no idea. And I we—I know this sounds incredibly amazing to you guys. I'm sure not working in TV, but it's not an uncommon thing. With co-productions, um, so I don't know. I know that we couldn't, we couldn't just put it on HD because when Toonami started back up, you know, one of the first shows we wanted to put on this new Toonami was, hey, let's put on GPX. <laughs> uh, we found out much, much to our chagrin, we found out that we can't. Um, so I would hold on to those special editions that are out there because I'm, there's not going to be any more unless some kind soul decides to re-release things and. Uh, I don't think they will. So I think, unfortunately for me, that show is going to be mostly lost to history. Because I remember, as it came out, I re, you know I remember reading reviews of episodes, and I remember people were pretty underwhelmed, um, and I was pretty bummed about that. But I still felt proud of the show we did, and had a great time doing it, and it was a great personal experience for me. Spent a lot of time in Japan, became good friends with a lot of amazing creators and people. Um, met, you know, uh, Oshi-san and, and everybody at, at Production IG, and they're an amazing studio. So, like, I, I have no regrets at all. Um, but, yeah, I don't I don't think you're going to be seeing any IGPX anytime soon, unfortunately. Wow, that, that really bums me out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jose. I'm a huge fan of that show. You, you, you can't well, see it right now. I'm glad. But... I'm actually wearing an IGPX shirt from the Bondi oh, box. Oh, wow. Wow, oh, that's God. amazing. I wore that's that so just cool. for this interview. 
Um, really, yeah. Jose? Really, Jose? <laughs> I own the whole. I own the whole series on DVD. I have the. I have the Toonami editions, and I have the uncut version. Man, I love that show. Oh my god, that's awesome, dude! I love that show. It was made in HD, so if somebody ever wanted to do a Blu-ray, it would look damn good. Oh my god, the the DVDs look amazing, and I'm just like, why is there no yeah. Blu-ray of this? Yeah, no. Well, I feel I'm sure. Like. I'm sure Jose would edit them for you. <laughs> yeah, let's do them. <laughs> um, so I'm just gonna go ahead and announce your Kickstarter. We're gonna go buy the ba- rights back from Production IG. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm, never, be... so I'm never not working. At... If I'm ever not working at Cartoon Network, I might do that. <laughs> can, it, can it be a TsunamiFaithful.com exclusive? We'll, we'll do it. We'll, we'll put it out. We're going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> Shooting for the stars here. Anyways, yes, anyways. Here. It really wants to be out because my next three questions are about IGPX. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll, have, look, I'll talk about IGPX all day long, uh, but yeah. Uh, all right. So, um, speaking of production energy, I, I think they produce some of the highest quality animation in the world. I mean, Ghost in the Shell 2, Innocence, is one of my favorite movies of all time. Skycrawlers is beautiful. But it must have been difficult uh, to kind of get through the language barrier and the physical distances. Um, how did you guys overcome this? And did you find it to be easier or harder than you thought it might be? Um, I would say it was as hard as I thought it would be. It was uh, many hours a week, full-time job on top of, you know, I didn't get paid to work on the show. I just did it out of love. I got my network salary, of course. So as far as the network was concerned, I was getting paid. But doing a show is a full-time job, and I did that on top of doing Toonami and everything else. So I only did it because it was a labor of love. Um, and we kind of accomplished it by... I mean, going to Japan all the time. We were we went to Tokyo six or seven times. I spent weeks there. Um, hung out a lot with uh, Hongo-san, the director. And there, were, you know, the language barrier made things hard. But we had some amazing people that kind of hung out with us and were fluent in both Japanese and English. And we got through a lot of initial disagreements about who characters should be or character arcs, particularly Liz was a character that, you know, they had very definite ideas about what they wanted to do with. They wanted her to be more Japanese, almost. They wanted her to they didn't want Takashi and Liz to get together at the end, because they felt like that is something that they just, it it was more of a Japanese storytelling. They wanted everything kept below the surface. I was trying to bring the American side and say, look, you can't have people flirting with each other for 26 episodes and let's do the thing that they never do in a lot of anime and actually have the two characters who like each other stop fighting with each other for five minutes and just kiss. Like, let's just do that thing that they never do at the time anyway. And we got through all those discussions. We didn't always agree, but we always found the middle ground. And, you know, I mean, you know we didn't always agree because the Japanese edition came out with, with totally different music because that was the music that Hongo felt he wanted in there. And I very strongly felt that music sucked. <laughs> so we put different music in there. And it was just as much our show as, uh, as his. And, you know, some people I've seen out there on the Internet saying, like, the true version is the Japanese version. Look, if ever that wasn't true for a show, it's for this show. I mean, every character's arc in that show, all their names, that stuff either came from me or is directly influenced by me. And Hongo was her partner. And Hongo is an amazing director, and he was very sweet and very open. 
and he worked with us in a way that it was it was almost inconceivable because at the time anime was doing so well everywhere and anime directors and, and creators are are huge cultural figures uh, in Japan and the idea that they would openly collaborate with a cartoon guy from America is not something many of them would even have considered doing because I mean certainly Oshi would never do that you know he's like get out of here you go write Ghost in the Shell and then call me when you're you know when you've got something so I was really amazed at how sweet he was and how open to hearing our thoughts he was and it was a lot of long hours and a lot of calls at um you know, calls for him at 6 a.m., calls for me at 6 a.m., um, or, or in the middle of the night, and long hours, but I'm very happy with everything, and I trusted Hongo to always, you know, make stuff that looked beautiful and to hear me out, and he, I mean, everything he, everything that was, idiosyncratic to that show from him is total genius. And I think that I, you know, I'm even, we may have diluted some of his stuff. I'm, I'm willing, I'm open to admit that. I mean, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, but I, I'm overall very proud of the show and I'm happy that he allowed us to have a voice because he could have been, um, much more, you know, authorial. Yeah. Um, he, Hongo actually seems like a very open Japanese director. I mean, uh, by your own admission, he he doesn't like fish and he likes hot dogs. Yes, yeah, no, he doesn't eat fish, which is the craziest thing ever. If you're in you when know, you don't eat fish, that is that's a one in a million person. Very <laughs> very unique Japanese guy. His the happiest moment he told me the happiest moment of his life up to that point was when he came to San. Comic-Con, and we did the panel there, and we took him to Hooters. <laughs> <laughs> and I do not, I'm not even kidding, there was a girl there, there was a Japanese girl there who spoke fluent Japanese and waited on us, and he had a cheeseburger, and he was, he told us, this is the happiest moment of my life. <laughs> <laughs> so, he's, he's a character. I, he's I have... a, he's, he's not cut from the same cloth as everyone else. I, I have this image of him in my head now of him like just hitting on a Japanese on that Japanese waitress, be like, "Yeah, I directed Outlaw Star." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that was the reason we that was the reason we wanted him. Mean, he was pitched to us as the you know the director of Outlaw Star, and we thought, well, those have like fighting ships, you know, like those ships fight, and these are fighting vehicles, and we just thought like, oh, that's perfect, you know. So it was. You know, it was meant to be. Yeah. Uh, you know, even though that show didn't maybe do as well as it should have, I'm still glad it happened. I, I love that show. And one more question about that show. Um, IGBX has an amazing soundtrack by Ninja Tune, which is very different from any other anime soundtrack. Um, why did you guys go... You might have answered this question already, but why did you guys choose to go with this route instead of composing an original soundtrack for the series? Um, because I don't like a lot of soundtracks to TV shows or anime in general. I think that com I think that instrumental composition always has value, and I think that there's amazing scores out there. But I think that when you don't have a lot of money and you're scoring, particularly for television, you rely more on tones and 
um, a very minimal kind of composition. And I didn't want, I knew we didn't have the money to have a full time working musician who does nothing but live in the world and make a living off of their music. We didn't have the money for that. So there was a lot of, in the original series, in the Japanese version of the series, there is a lot of, there's, you know, Grand Rodeo, the band, and then there's like a bunch of instrumental music, a lot of which wasn't even created for the show, but it's like sort of stock music. And I firmly felt like we needed to distance ourselves from the same old background music that you hear in every other cartoon and actually pay attention to really helping the episode, helping the emotion, helping the, you know, helping it feel not like every other show. And we had such a great relationship with Ninja Tune that they were able to, I was able to work out a deal with them where we got to use all their music in the show. Um, And I personally think it's a million times better with that music because that's all music made by real musicians making a living at making music who have to live or die on whether or not their music is selling. So to me, all that passion that they go into making that music comes through when you, when you soundtrack it. And I don't say that, let me be clear. You can't have a score that's just as good. You can, but it costs money. You know, we're not calling Hans Zimmer to score cartoons. You know what I mean? So, um, to me, this was the best way to get real music. And I felt like some of the music they use in the Japanese version, I very much liked, but there was a lot of it that I didn't, I felt was just flat and I didn't want anything flat. Um, so it was more about me being a picky asshole than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I actually I like that have What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Again, to prove how big a fan I am of this show, you know, uh, you mentioned Gran Rodeo earlier. I, I love the American soundtrack. I have a playlist on my iTunes, but I have a soft spot for that that Gran Rodeo theme song. Of course. I actually bought the album from Japan, like the, the single yeah. from Japan. I have it. I thought that was, I thought that was great. <laughs> I thought that was great. I didn't think, I didn't want it in our version, but I thought it was great. And I wanted it to succeed in Japan as badly as I wanted it to succeed here. And it was important to me that they have the ability to do whatever they need to do to make the show palatable to a Japanese audience. If that, you know, if that meant different music, that's totally cool. Like do what you got to do. We were partners and we understood that we were pitching to different audiences. So I think story transcends story transcends all kind of geographical, you know, lines. But I think there are certainly elements that you can bring to localize something that make it more powerful to the group of people you're trying to bring it to. And I wanted they gave us the freedom to make our version of it, and we gave them the freedom to make their version of it. And that's what partners do. All right, I think we're done with IGBX for now because I've, <laughs> I've gotten everything off cool. my chest. Um, so thank you for answering all those questions. Uh, sure. Now let's let's get back into the the good stuff. Um, let's do it. The uh, obviously Reactor and Jetstream they're gone. They've been replaced with Adult Swim Gold. But uh, how important yep. is it in this day and age uh, to have an online component to to your to your broadcast compared to way back when? You know, Tanami was first starting. I mean, I you know what I'm probably I'm like every other TV executive these days. I don't really know. It's hard to say. It's really hard to say. I don't, you you can make arguments pro and con all day long. I know that 
I know that most of the shows we're ever going to show in Toonami are already going to be available online somewhere. Um, and I know that it's just as hard as it ever was to license those shows for our usage on something like Adult Swim Gold. So I think it's something that people at the network are always going to be trying to pull off. And it usually will have nothing to do with me. But um, I think that in general, TV viewership is eroding year by year because you can watch whatever you want to watch on whatever device, wherever you are. And I don't know what that ultimately means for my business, um, but I think it's just a reality we have to live with. And when we can get something that's exclusive to us, I think that's always better for us. But the idea that that's going to happen often is, you know, probably a fallacy. Um, so Steve Bloom has obviously had a huge impact on Toonami and he's a big supporter too. How, how did he react when you told him when Toonami was going to be coming back for one sure. night and then when it actually really did well, come back? Well, let's not forget, we had a big impact on Steve, <laughs> but, <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> but we started off as fans of his and that's why we wanted to work with him. And it's been a dream come true to work with him for such a long period of time. And he is a very sweet and I, you know, you guys can tell this luckily he he's out there on the internet now enough that everyone can see who he is, but he's always been an incredibly generous, sweet man who is just a great guy. Like, I don't even know. I couldn't, if you asked me to tell him some, tell you something bad about him, I couldn't even think of one thing like, and that's not, an exaggeration. Um, so he, you know, and he was instrumental in helping to bring Toonami back, just, you know, helping, you know, stirring up fans and just being vocal about it. And, you know, he, he was always, he's, he's always got, we have a special place in his heart and he's got a special place in ours because we kept him working for 11 straight, you know, like not 11 years, but like eight, you know, it's a long time. We helped his kids. We helped put his kids through school. That's what he always said. <laughs> so, like, you know, when times got lean, we were always there. So now times are lean for us, and we're asking him to do voiceover work for, like, a tenth of his normal rate. You know, the guy is one of the biggest voices in video games. He's on every cartoon. He's up there with Tom Kinney. You know, he's just a voice you're always going to hear, and he's very much in demand, but he always makes time every week to read our stuff because he loves Toonami. And he realizes as he goes to conventions and he interacts with fans, he told us, he's like, I realized how much of an impact Tom has had on their lives. And it's been a big thing for a lot of fans. Um, so he, he sees the value himself in continuing to be this character because it's a character people remember as fondly as his many other characters. So, um, we told him it was coming back. It was actually more like, listen, don't tell anybody <laughs> because he's online all the time. And we knew that he would want to babble it out. And we were like, listen, you can't say anything to anyone because we wanted it to be a surprise because it was April fool's thing. So, you know, we were afraid of leaks. So we said, listen, just don't say anything to anybody, but here's what's going to happen. He was completely, he was like, yes, he was thrilled. And, um, you know, when it, we found out it was coming back, you know, as a regular thing, he was just like, oh, this is amazing. So, you know, he was, he's been 
amazing and very generous and we love working with him and we'll continue to work with him as long as he will work with us. Um, another, another friend of the show, Richie Branson told us that more of his music would actually air on Toonami. Uh, when do you think we might yes. be seeing that? Um, I'm not sure, but I know it will. I mean, we're, we're getting beats from him. So, I mean, we've used some on adult swim proper, um, because to us, it's all one thing. You know, I, provide a lot of music to Adult Swim and we'll use some of it on Toonami. So yes, you will absolutely hear more Richie Branson music on Toonami. I don't know when. It's got to be the right you know, he makes hip-hop beats so you have to make sure what you're using has the right tempo and you know it's got to feel right with whatever you're doing um, but absolutely he's the man. Yeah, he. no we, we met him in person, me and Paul uh, Oh yes you know, we did. And we've had him on the podcast before. He is he is the sweetest guy. He, he's yeah. He's, he's a good dude. Yeah, he's a he's, good dude. He's and, a great guy, and we we were really happy to have him as a friend as well. And you know, and his and and his, you know, both you know his bitches and, and his bring back tsunami song. Yeah. Those were huge. You know, those were those came along at exactly the right moment for us. Um, so you know, we definitely are are gonna try to keep working with Richie as long as he wants to try to work with us. If we may make a suggestion, we ha- we have another friend sure. on the show. Uh, <laughs> Kadesh Flow. His name is Kadesh Flow. He has actually worked with oh, Richie yeah. before yeah. On, a, on a rap. People have, people have, uh, I like Kadesh Flow. People have sent me his stuff many times, actually. So I'm aware of Kadesh Flow and, you know, he's someone whose music I like. I'm not going to, like, I won't say, yes, I'm going to work with him tomorrow, you know, but I definitely like his stuff. And I'd say it wouldn't, it wouldn't be, it certainly wouldn't be out of place on too long. If I'm, if I may say this, yes, he's going to be very thrilled to hear that. But I was going to say, um, I have his information. If you want to, if you want me to exchange that with you. Sure. Yeah. Okay. I would love that. He's going to really love me right now. (laughs) Send the stuff after the show. That's great. Yeah, please do. All righty. And, um, all right, it's time for a hypothetical. We're an old show to return. Let's say Outlaw mm-hmm. Star. <laughs> <laughs> would you use the old edited Toonami tapes, or would you edit those tapes from the uncut version of the show? To, yeah, and then we would to never. Standards? Yeah. And, and, and let me interject use... real quick. Jose has said publicly on the show that he will actually edit those for free. Just yeah. want to put that out Professional there. Professional editor, I will edit those for free. Well, I will say, number one, any show that I'm licensed from Bandai Entertainment is now in limbo. It's going to be a while before you would see anything that was one of those shows, if ever. Beyond that, we would never, ever show the edited version of a show if we can't. We don't. Let's be clear. We edited shows so that we could get them on TV to show to a mass audience, but it was not because we liked it or thought we were making them better. We never did. So if we can show an uncut or less cut version of a show, that is always our preference, even if it's an old show. Because the old masters aren't going to be in HD anyway. They're probably not even on a tape used anymore. So we would probably just show the completely uncut show except for maybe the hot hot springs planet episode which <laughs> you're in the dump swing would have trouble with that one uh, but maybe you could blur things i don't know but yeah, i can blur things <laughs> <to> the, uh, <laughs> with your pants off 
we uh, <laughs> we don't have the money for um, those kind of edits nowadays anyway. Um, but even if we did, it's not something we want to do. And luckily, adultism standards are pretty broad. So, you know, and that opens the doors to the shows we can put on too, which is something that's important to us. Um, I, he's right though. Paul, Paul did say it. I've said it publicly on the podcast before. Um, if you would like, I'll edit that show for free. Well, I appreciate it. If we, if we get the rights to that show and we need it edited, I will certainly get back to you. All right. Thank you so much. That's all we wanted to hear. You're, you're welcome, Jose. You're I'll, welcome. I'll send my demo reel and everything, but not right now. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Anyways, um, speaking of our show, we might as well, uh, speaking of our show, uh, do you do you actually listen to our show? Because you've brought we we brought up the hashtag thing where where you put the hashtag thing on the network. We brought it up on a on our episode uh, one of our shows, and then it showed up a couple of weeks later. It was weird timing, and I, it was awesome. I have listened to one of your podcasts. Um, I don't. It's not because I don't want to, but I just don't have time. Um, but I've listened to it, and I and I thought it was very good. I did not listen to that one. Um, that suggestion did come from fans, so if you tweeted me that, you may be the person. I don't know, but Thank you. some Toonami fan tweeted me like, hey, are you going to start using hashtags on the air? And it was sort of like a doy, you know, like I was like, oh, yeah, we should do that with our TV and stuff. <laughs> and, you know, it was something that was easy to do, and we realized, oh, yeah, we should have been doing this all along. We're morons. Um, <laughs> and we just, we're just, you know, we're like, all, you know, Gil's 37, I'm 40. I mean, we're old men who made Toonami in the era before Twitter existed, so we don't automatically think, how can we leverage this in Twitter? But we should be. And it was, you know, Toonami fans who sort of said, hey, dummy, why aren't you leveraging this? And I thought, oh, yeah, that's, that's actually a good idea. So it, if it was you guys that tweeted it, sure, but it wasn't the podcast that I heard it on. But I have listened to your podcast, and that's you know that's the reason I agreed to do it. Sweet, awesome. um, thank thank you, uh, thank you. That, we really appreciate that, and um, you know we're glad that you're you're taking feedback not only from from us but from from fans in general. Uh, sure, I love taking feedback. I don't take insults, and people think that I'm mean because I am like you're stupid. But no one, <laughs> just because, just because you put yourself out there publicly doesn't give people the right to, you know, treat you like shit. No. And while I am out there, I'm out there to interact with my fans and hear their concerns, but there's a limit to what you want to put up with. And when I encounter rank stupidity or people who are just aggressively trolling me, then those people will get served. Um, but by the but by the way, general, do you have any troll spray? Because they keep they they go to yours and then they come to mine for some odd reason. Well, sure, that's what they're going to do. You know, they're just going to keep going. It's an echo chamber. It's a vast echo chamber. They're just yelling to hear their own voice and hoping that they get a reaction from someone. And I, you know, hey, do what you got to do, but don't do it to me. And that's why there's a block button. I actually, um, I actually have a personal rule for myself about Twitter. When I when I tweet you, is I limit myself to three tweets. If you don't respond to the first one, I just drop it for the day. Well, I appreciate it. I mean, I I check Twitter all, but 
like I said before, I have a job and a lot of uh, girlfriend and a kid and, you know, I'm doing other things besides Toonami. Um, so I can't answer every question, even if I wanted to. And a lot of them are questions I'm not, I wouldn't even be allowed to answer if I felt like answering, like from my network, I would say 90% of the questions are, would you ever consider X show? Yeah. Which is great because, <laughs> because sometimes I won't have heard of the show and I will go look the show up or I will make a note to eventually look the show up. So that's great, but I can't respond to everyone because I don't have the time. Um, I'm not just sitting at my computer with nothing to do but answer questions all day. Although I do like to do it sometimes. And that's why sometimes I'll just do little Q and A's, you know, for fun. And then somebody said like, I bet he's just sitting bored at his computer. And it's like, yeah, pretty much. Like, you know, I like, I love Toonami fans and I want to interact with them, but I have to fit it into my daily life. Um, cause Gil refuses to get on. <laughs> he's, I'm like, please. He's like, Nope, I've seen your Twitter feed. So right, that- I'm, I'm all, I'm, I'm it for now. <laughs> that That's why I limited it to three tweets, because I'm like, I can imagine his phone blowing up all the time. I don't want that from me. Well, I appreciate that. All right, so I think it's, uh, it's Paul's turn now. It is my turn. Hello, Jason. Well, can you, hey, Paul, how are you? I'm good. Uh, thank you for liking the Facebook page, might I add, since I have you on the phone. Sure. Yeah, my, and, I mean, uh, I, I usually keep my Facebook kind of free of Tiami stuff, but... Um, Occasionally, I like to support. Well, thank you for supporting us. I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, first question I have um, for you is, did the success of Toonami help you to get to the position you were promoted to recently? Um, in a general way, maybe, but not in an immediate way, no. Uh, at our network... Um, you know, Sean was really the face of Toonami mm-hmm. to our network bosses and stuff. Um, and I was, you know, in the later years, um, as well, but Toonami was, you know, we we're kind of our own unit and we sit at William street with the rest of adult swim, even though we worked on a cartoon network thing. So we were a little bit, you know, off on our own Island sometimes. And Sean was the main person who interacted with the rest of the network as the creative director. Um, so I wouldn't say it really helped me in the immediate sense with this job that I have now. What helped me with this job was actually working on Adult Swim and the Adult Swim sales promotions because Adult Swim has had such insane success. Um, and, you know, that's kind of where my opportunities came from. But Toonami helped in a general way just because you know, they know we worked on something. It's not, a, you know, there's no other packaging block on Cartoon Network that's lasted for 11 years and changed. Well, now it's, now it's going to be 12 years, but, you know, that lasted that long. So certainly that didn't hurt. Okay. Um, but, you know, as far as the network's concerned, I also had a show that they gave me that failed, you know, and so like, <laughs> it's more about how they felt about me and my personal interactions with other coworkers and my, you know, being a, being a, a good worker, you know, Okay. that's what I hope anyway. <laughs> and, uh, since Jose stole one of my questions, I might as well ask this question. Um, what 
what is your current position so everybody knows? Because I don't think everybody knows what your current position is. And what does your position entail? I am the vice president of um, sponsorships, sponsored promotions. So when a, when a like, you know, a TV network is based off of an ad, ad revenue model, right? So if Nike wants to spend money on Cartoon Network, Nike could spend that money on any network. So our salespeople will meet with Nike's representatives, and Nike's representatives will say, why should we spend on your network? And we'll say, well, we have all this research. Look at all these people that watch. It's exactly the demographic you're looking for. But then they say, what else you got? And it's my group's job to come up with ideas that we will use to sort of be the carrot that gets them to spend money. So stuff like Adult Swim singles, um, a lot of commercials that are on Adult Swim that you may not even know that we made. We made um, stuff like contests and giveaways. And then I also um, am the A&R for William Street Records, which is the record label, the adult one record label that um, I started, and then I do Toonami. And then we also help out on a lot of other adult one projects, um, sort of. It, adult one is somewhat like a, you know, I hate to use this analogy, but it is somewhat like a family. We're a close-knit group of people. There's always a bunch of creative people working, and people will ask you to work on things and come do a voice or come look at an edit or whatever, and we end up helping out shows we end up helping out our marketing department we're a production unit and we have a couple editors and we have a sound designer and they're all amazingly talented people and we just kind of do all that stuff on top of my day-to-day job which is running cartoon network and adult swim sales promotions so yes i'm a marketing guy (laughs) (laughs) and you sound very busy i'll Um, take that as yes yeah I mean, I, I, I love my job. I get to do fun stuff. I'm going to, you know, I will go, I will go interview an athlete. I will go to Hawaii and film the Pro Bowl. I'll go to Africa and make a rap record. I'll come back and work on Toonami. I have no, you know, regrets about my life choice. Awesome. All right. Uh, next question. After Toonami went off the air, did you push to get it back behind the scenes or was there always like a thought out there that it would return in some way? Um, no, we didn't push at all. I mean, usually when something's canceled, it's canceled. That's it. You don't usually get, this is a very rare occurrence in television, you know? Um, so we, we were just like, okay. I mean, we had to, it was like a breakup or a death in the family. You know, you had to get used to the idea that you weren't doing it anymore and something I had been doing for 11 years. So, but eventually I was at peace with it. I mean, I was, I would say I was more at peace with it than a lot of fans were um, because, you know, I felt like, look, I had my shot. We did the best we could. I think we did good. I'm proud of our work. Let's move on. You know, Gil and I had put it behind us because we never thought there was even a chance. And the last thing when your show is canceled or your block is canceled or whatever it is, the last thing anyone wants is for you to sit in meetings crying about it because it's just business. This is a business. And if the business makes a decision that there's no tsunami, it may suck, but you either accept it or quit. You really don't have a third choice. Hmm. So we had accepted it. 
And like I said, we love our current jobs. Uh, our fulfillment as human beings, Toonami was a big part of, but we can get on without it if we needed to. And so we didn't even have an inkling of a thought that it was a possibility. Hmm. Um, so it was just as much of a shock to us as anybody else. <laughs> Um, well, then I guess I have to ask this question then. Why, how did it come about then? How did, how did it all of a sudden just come back into everybody's realm, I guess, so to um, speak? Mike Lazo, <laughs> that guy everybody says hates anime, uh, wanted it back. He thought, you know what we could do for April Fool's? It would be awesome. It would be awesome if Toonami came on the air. We didn't tell anyone. It just came on. And it had all the shows and packaging from back in the day. And it was just like suddenly you were in a time warp and there was no explanation or warning. Wouldn't that be the most amazing thing? And we said, yeah, it would be. And originally they wanted to just literally show old packaging. And we said, well, listen, if we're going to do this, we want to be able to like, let's do some, let's do a new game review. And let's, you know, at that point, Gil and I started strategizing, like, how do we turn this into an ongoing thing. We thought, well, you know what we're going to do? Let's get all the old stuff and see if we can make new stuff out of it and see what that would mean. And that's why we did the Mass Effect 3 review. It was sort of a test test drive. Um, and they let us do that. And we only had about a month to pull it together. Um, and then after the response, you know, it was almost like it was such a huge response, not really ratings wise, but just out in the world that, you know, everybody noticed, wow, this really had an impact. And I think for Lazo at that point, it was sort of a no brainer. So he asked us if we wanted to, you know, keep doing it. And we, of course, said yes, because we're not stupid. <laughs> and it was good. And I love Toonami, so that was a good move I'm right sorry, there. So. Question. Um, Go ahead. Yeah, but how did how did you guys get your hands on those shows? How were the how did the companies that were involved, like Bandai and Funimation, uh, in all those shows? How did they react to to giving you those shows for that night? Um, I wasn't involved in filmmaking. Kim Manning was. But my understanding is that they were all very. They thought it was all. They all thought it was great. And like I said, we originally had good relationships with all of these companies and knew everyone. And I think everybody thought, you know, this would be a really fun thing. And people just kind of helped us out. Honestly, it was a bunch of companies that I'm sure a lot of other people would have used of being, you know, cold corporate entities. But there are people at those companies, and they're good people, and they helped us out. Okay. Uh, next question. And um, just to give people context on this, you actually, uh, I think a fan had asked you on your Twitter account, and I wanted you to kind of go more in depth into it, but a, a fan had asked about why you can't put old shows on, and you had said, you know, the old shows cost just as much as the new shows. So right. my question is, can you go into depth on why shows that have been on Toonami in the past cost just as much as a new show you may want or currently have? Um. Well, if you look at a lot, of, a lot of what people would consider an old show, right, like One Piece, Naruto, DBB, Pokemon, right. whatever, those are all shows that are quote-unquote old, they still have huge value in the marketplace. So none of those companies are going to just give us those shows super cheap because they are doing their own things with them, whether that's putting them on Hulu and any other streaming service that wants them, 
Maybe they've got plans for Blu-ray releases. Maybe not. Maybe they've got plans to develop stuff. Maybe they're doing things in other territories, and now that other territory wants it exclusive for whatever reason. There's any number of business decisions that I'm not privy to, but all I can tell you is day-to-day, those shows, unless you're talking about shows like, you know, I don't know, we could probably get run by half, like, real cheap, but that's an old, old show. Um, so, yes, we could probably show, you know, really old shows that no one will watch cheaper, but we can't show the old shows people mean when they say old shows. What people mean is Outlaw Star, DBZ, Naruto, One Piece. That's generally the four shows that people will suggest. And all of those shows, except Outlaw Star, are huge money drivers for those companies. So I'm not saying we would never get those shows. And I'm not saying that these companies are bad. And I'm not saying that I really am privy to these conversations because I'm not. All I know is what I hear from secondhand and what I know about the business. But if you have equity in a product, you are not going to give it away for less than you feel you deserve even if it's older, especially if it's something that is still viable, which those shows still are. Um, people want to see them, and I want to see them. <laughs> so, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the mechanics of that because I get into an area where I'm not, it's not my area of expertise. It's not what I do day to day. Okay. Um, but, but yeah, people want old shows generally for nostalgia and, I'm here to say Toonami's not in the nostalgia business. We have never been in the nostalgia business. That one night, April Fool's, was about nostalgia. But if is an ongoing concern, it has to react to what's going on now. So we'll have a mix of shows because that's what we can get. Just like Toonami used to have old Hanna-Barbera shows from the 70s and 60s. Uh, we'll have old shows if we need to. We'll have show old shows sometimes because it makes sense. But we are not looking for old shows over new shows. We will always prefer new. The whole okay. point is showing new stuff. On, on top of that, I guess I have to ask this follow-up question too. Um, there, there was talk about out there of uh, Thundercats being canceled or whatnot. And I know you can't go into anything about Thundercats or anything like that, but you had said on your Twitter that Toonami has always been an actual, like, a, like an action block. Would you yep. ever consider putting that on like an Adult Swim Toonami? Or is that something well, that... That's the kind of question I can't answer. Um, okay. I'll just say that I, I like the new Thundercats a lot. Oh, so, so do I. And I do, and I do hope that we get to put non-anime on this block. Uh, we want to put action shows from other places than Japan on Toonami like it used to have. Okay. We'll see. It's difficult now. We're on Adult Swim, and Adult Swim has its own demographics and aesthetic, and it's very tough to suddenly shovel a kid's show onto a block that people watch for grown-up stuff. That's not to say we were trying to make Toonami extreme or whatever, but we <laughs> just, you know, we we have to be cognizant of the fact that if we were to put a new G.I. Joe cartoon or something, those cartoons are pitched to kids, and Toonami is no longer for kids. Correct. It is for young people. 
um, so yeah, that's okay. all I can say about that. Okay. Uh, my next question is, uh, we recently saw an Adult Swim bump saying that you guys went over to Japan about you guys had some kind of acquisition for anime for 2013. Was that a joke or was that a tease for something to come? I think that was, I didn't see that bump and I heard about it afterwards and they didn't tell me about it. So, I mean, look, we're always talking and Kim is making acquisitions. So that part of the story is true. Um, I don't know if she went to Japan. I don't think she did, but I think it was a joke. Okay. I just had to ask that because a lot of people had asked me about that too. So No, I understand. But yeah, I mean, when you read it in Adult Swim Bump, take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> we tried to. I was stalking to be on the air with my um, yeah, Skrillex stub concert. Annie Nuyasha. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, my next question, uh, before Toonami came back in the air, um, there were several shows on Adult Swim that were on the anime block on Saturdays on Adult Swim. Um, yeah. with the exception of Big O and other shows already that have been on Toonami and that you've said that, you know, our possibilities of coming back, could we see like a show like, for example, Inuyasha, which has been on Adult Swim for years, mm-hmm. show back up or like Dura yeah. Dura? Do it I would not. say any show, any any show that was on Adult Swim is a possibility of coming back. Okay. There's very few that you. I mean, you wouldn't you won't crayon Shinchan on Toonami because it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but any show that in your any show that you as a Toonami viewer in your mind thinks, well, that would make sense for Toonami, then there's a possibility. Okay. I know that that's broader than people like, but as much as people ask. I love telling them I'm not telling you because the mystery is part of what makes it fun. True, and you probably would get yelled at if you said something, too. Yeah. Well, there's that. I like my (laughs) (laughs) Well, we don't want you to get yelled at, so. (laughs) Um, My next question is, um, you've kind of talked about this a little bit with uh, Jose's questions, but with the the whole Bandai situation, will this affect Eureka 7, which is obviously a Bandai show, and or any... Any shows you may want to get from there, from them in the future? Um, I don't know. I I have no idea, to tell you the truth. Um, don't really know the ramifications of those decisions yet. So, and again, that acquisition's part of the job is not my part of the job. So I don't know. Um, we're still figuring out what that means. Okay. All right. Um, next question, and this is, you've talked about this a little bit too, but how much effect has Twitter had on the path of Toonami? I mean, it's definitely an amazing tool for me to hear what people are thinking, to hear suggestions of shows, to hear suggestions of artists, musicians, whoever that we fans would like to see us work with. That said, it's also got a dark side, which is that people can directly interact with me and not everybody understands that I'm not, it's not McDonald's and I'm not here to just answer your question the second you ask it and give you what you want, <laughs> that I'm a human being with my own life and that I'm doing this for the sake of Toonami and so the Toonami fans can feel heard. Um, I'm not a saint, or, you know, that's not what I'm saying, I'm just saying 
my reasons for doing it are not to promote myself. They're to promote Toonami and they're to help Toonami fans understand why we're doing what we're doing and that we care about what they think. And we always have. So it's an amazing tool for that. And I'm really happy to have, I think I have somewhere around 3000 followers now, probably a couple hundred or bots, but otherwise I'm really <laughs> happy that people are engaged and people care. And I love just seeing people talking about Tsunami. I even love it when people are like, fuck Tsunami. Tsunami sucks. That's why I retweet those. Cause I think that's hilarious. I just, I, I don't know why it's not, it's funny to me. Um, I laugh every I time you do it too. Yeah. I love that people are talking about it. Um, I'm happy that we're back and I'm enjoying being able to tell people every week what we have coming. So yeah, it's been a huge, it's been a huge thing for us. It doesn't necessarily make us make decisions. We don't necessarily pick shows just because five people on Twitter told me they like the show. That's not a reason. The reason we pick shows is because we love the shows or we think their shows have a chance of doing well and they fit right. You know, you don't a hundred percent love to death every single show you put on, but you at least liked every show. It's a, you know, in a good scenario. So, you know, our decisions are more based on stuff like, what do we like? Who, who can, what can we get? What do we like? That kind of thing. Um, and then another third consideration is what have I heard from fans about this show or this artist or this look or this promo or this thing we did. I mean, you know, the reason we started doing the Tom speeches again is because people made it clear that they really want those back. You know, we thought, Hey, those were for kids. You know, the reason I originally like most of those were written by me and it was my idea to do them because what I wanted to do was when kids were watching tsunami, I wanted some kid that was having a hard time in their life to have somebody telling them something important or positive in the least cheesy way possible. And we thought, well, you know, it's all grownups now. They don't want to see us preach to them. You know, that was for kids. We didn't plan on doing Tom's speeches, but it was because fans let me know, like, we really want those back that we started doing them. Um, so Twitter has definitely had an effect on Tsunami's current version okay and to expand on that question a little bit more um a lot of a lot of the things that like me and femble do on twitter is try to get things to trend on the left hand side because obviously when something trends on the left hand side that's a good thing um right. what when that happens obviously i know you guys are monitoring all those hashtags and everything um how does that affect tsunami does that is that a good thing is that a bad thing you know it's a good, no, it's definitely a good thing. I mean, look, it doesn't like change anybody's mind at the network. Like, Oh, you got it. You know, you're trending on Twitter. Well, here's $5 million, but it definitely in the day to day, like in, in Tsunami's day to day workings, it's a good thing that we can do that on Twitter. It was regularity. It shows that there is a hungry audience and, if only the ratings always matched it. <laughs> it's always it's always a good thing. The best thing is always ratings. But other than ratings, the things that networks look at to see how their how their shows are succeeding in the world is social media. So it is important and it is a good thing. And all you guys that do it, you are definitely to, to answer your question simply, you are definitely helping Toonami. 
Awesome. So thank you. And I, and we saw that uh, the advertised tsunami trending uh, helped a little bit yes. too. Like, yeah, because I mean, we, well, that was more that, that I would you know that well, it, us them agreeing to advertise tsunami wasn't really a direct result of that, but it didn't hurt. Like it it doesn't hurt. Let's just say that mm-hmm. um, that was more of an internal network decision. Um, and I'm really glad that we're going to get that promo on the air more. Um, because I think it will help. Okay. Um, was somebody else going to ask something? I'm sorry. No. no oh, okay. Still you, man. Okay, I was just making sure. I thought I heard somebody say something. All right. Sure. And guys, I just want to let you know, I got about 10 minutes, and then I got to bail. It's been about an hour 45. and Yeah, we we should start lightning rounding these questions. Yeah, okay. And we'll, we'll do this Yeah, no, really I give quick. long answers, too. It's just like <laughs> I'm a rambler. Got a lot of tsunami stories. It's okay. No. It's okay. Hey. Uh, well, then I'll just ask the only the only couple of questions that I really want to ask, and that's it. Um, sure. We'll make these. We'll try to make these as quick as possible. Um, so cool. Daniel can ask his questions too. Uh, speaking of Eureka Seven, I hope I said that right. Eureka. Yeah. Whatever. Eureka. <laughs> <laughs> Will we see episodes on Adult Swim Gold? Because every other show that's been on Toonami has Adult Swim Gold. We, mm. I was just wondering about that. I don't know. That's I'm not privy to those decisions, so I couldn't tell you. I don't know. I mean, it'd be, it'd be great. hope so, but I don't uh, have anything to do with those decisions. Okay. Uh, next question here. That's more important. Um. This is this is one that I, I think a lot of people want the answer to, and it's it's kind. I guess it's not really tsunami related, but it has to be asked. Um, there was rumors out there, and this was before tsunami even came back for even the April Fools, that there that you guys are working on this anime for Adult Swim. Um, is that true? And mm-hmm. if any details, can you give anything on that? No, it's not true. Not true. Okay. Nope. All right. Nope, we were never working on anything for Adult Swim. The only okay. anime we ever worked on for Adult Swim is Big O Season 2. Okay. Good, we get that out of the way. Because a lot of people were wondering about that, and that was a huge rumor out there. So. Yeah, I've discovered people like making up shit and seeing who, who asked about <laughs> it. <laughs> okay. And that's a false one, yeah. All right, and the two final questions I really want to ask um, is... It seems you guys are open to music from for Toonami, aka Richie Branson. Yeah. Uh, in regards to intro music video, intros and music videos, what what do you do you when you do a new intro in the future, which is farther down the line? I'm not saying anything soon because you've said mm-hmm. no, it's not going to happen anytime soon. Uh, could we see a nerdcore song as part of that? Mm, doubtful. Um, doubtful. I'm really glad that people like Richie and Kadesh Flow are out there and I enjoy their music personally, but I don't feel that Toonami needs to, I actually, we usually don't even have vocals and we've never had vocals very often other than the one Richie song because we like our vocals to be clips from the show. Uh, for the most part, you know, that LP track we just used, that was like the first time We've done that since, like, I don't know, the IGPX music video with everything is under control. So really rare that we would do it. And 
Um, it's not that I don't value nerdcore as a genre because I do, but um, I like what we do with music already, and uh, I feel like I have enough good relationships with amazing artists um, like LP, like Flying Lotus, like you know whoever we've worked with that. Um, it's unlikely we'll go to a rapper to have them make a rap song about Toonami because until Richie, I would have told you that that idea sucks. He just is so good. He made it work. And I mean, I guess that's the whole thing with some of the nerdcore guys is they can write a Gundam wing rap. And it, I would objectively say the lifelong rap fan that that just sounds like it wouldn't work. And then I hear Richie do it and I realize it's all about the talent. Um, so, it's unlikely. It's not impossible. But we've never been fans of, like, you know, a Toonami rap, other than Richie's, which, when he did it, it came from the heart. And that's what made it amazing, besides the fact that he's a really good rapper. Um, right. It was something he did as a love thing, because I really hate it when, we, when I watch TV and I see some shitty rap song that's about some show. Like, even in movies, when they get a rap artist to do something. It just is never, it never feels genuine. It never feels right. So maybe Toonami, since we've seen, we seem to have struck a chord in that community, maybe there's a possibility, but a lot of different criteria would have to be met. I'm pretty picky when it comes to music. Okay. And then I have just, I, I'm going to actually, it's going to be two more questions. I wanted to ask a fan question too. Uh, but my, my last my last question was um, for me uh, with uh, ToonamiFaithful.com posting videos of Toonami, like all the promos and that on YouTube. Do you guys have any problems with websites doing that since Toonami Digital Arsenal has been doing that for years? I have no official position on that. Okay. <laughs> That's, That's all I could say. say. Okay. Already, I don't know then. anything about it. I don't. I don't know anything about any of that. And I think that if people want to look at old tsunami promos, that's terrific. Cool. All right, let's and, run these a little faster so we can get you out. Yeah. Of here. And I just wanted to ask one fast one uh, Facebook question that I thought was very important. I think he sure. was trying to go towards more of a um, like a an Adult Swim show that's not a cartoon. But uh, Andrew Katz of Marietta, Georgia, asks, uh, do you have any plans to show non-anime shows on Toonami anytime soon? I think that, that means more towards maybe like like a th new Thundercats, but also I guess I want to go a little bit farther on that question and ask, are you guys, do you have any plans to show like a, a show, an original show like uh, Children's Hospital, for example? Um, all I can say, I don't know what's going to happen with Toonami every day to day, like in a year from now, but I will say that I don't think we're ever showing live action anything ever. Okay. Uh, I certainly don't ever want to see Power Rangers or any other God knows whatever we would show. <laughs> and so, I, not to not to I interrupt don't. you, but somebody actually made it. I don't know if you saw the parody, but somebody actually made a parody with Power Rangers in it. Mm, yeah, didn't see it because I I I mean I just <laughs> I miss I miss I miss the whole Power Rangers thing. I'm too old for Power Rangers, so I never I get I I get why people like it, but I've never gotten into a particular season of Power Rangers. So, as far as I'm concerned, again, I don't solely make these decisions, but as far as I'm concerned, you you won't see live action 
on Toonami ever, and I can't talk about anything else. Okay. All right, Daniel, go ahead with your question, sir. Hi, Jason. Hey. All right, I have probably almost two questions since you almost answered probably one of them already. Um, Okay. This is a two-part. How did you get started on Toonami, and what was... Was Tanami your first project when starting with Cartoon Network or Tuner? Or Toner? Whatever. Turner. 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 Um, I started, I owe my job to Sean Akins. He hired, he left TNT to work for Cartoon Network. He got me in the door at TNT and I worked there for two years making promos um, from 1996 to 1998. At the same time as I was doing that, I was working freelance for Toonami at night. Um, And Sean had me working on any number of things, but game reviews, helping him write stuff. And then, you know, my lunch break, I would go down to Cartoon Network and hang out. And then Sean hired me to work on Toonami full-time in 98, the very beginning of 98. So uh, I owe all of that to Sean. And... um, when I first started at Cartoon Network, yes, the only thing I was doing was Toonami. I was hired to, I had been working on Toonami since it started, and I was hired specifically to work full-time on Toonami, and I started at William Street. Um, before that, when I was a freelancer in the very early days of Toonami, Toonami was actually based in a building that was sort of a, it was a film studio in Atlanta called, it's over on Crog Street, and it was sort of a, where they shot certain small independent movies or cheapies and we had sort of a room on in that building and there, everybody was crammed into that room like five guys crammed into one room and um it was it was um really nice to be able to move to William Street. <laughs> so, yeah. All right, uh that's, that's wonderful. Um Let's see. I only have like two others, but this for this one. Um, what made you decide to bring back Tanami other than the fans screaming for it? I mean, we never wanted to stop doing Tanami. I mean, our hearts were broken when Tanami was canceled, and we never thought we would have the opportunity to do it again. We never thought that people would react the way that they did. We thought, you know, we put a lot of work and heart into it, but we never assumed that everybody else would care. You know, uh, we honestly thought that the shows were the main reason anyone watched Toonami, and there's nothing wrong with that, but we didn't think that everyone would have this, such a personal connection to their childhood. I underestimated how important people's memories of their childhood are. Um, so we never thought ever come back, and our hearts were broken. We never assumed it would come back, and we were, once we saw the opportunity to bring it back, we did everything we could to, I speak... I say we, and I include myself and Gil Austin and Kim Manning, we did everything we could to make the best case for it coming back. Um, but it was really the fans, honestly, in all truthfulness, the fans brought it back. Completely and totally fan reaction to April Fool's. It was Michael Azzo and the fans that brought Tsunami back. So you guys should congratulate yourselves. And congratulate Mike Lazo because who <laughs> apparently back. hates anime. Yes, apparently hates anime. Yeah, I've heard that story too. Uh, he hates it so much. He, he hates it so much. He's been running it for eleven years, even though it gets the lower ratings than just about anything else. Nine <laughs> times out of ten, that's how much he hates it. Yep. Um, 
I think that's pretty much it. All right, uh, let's try to lightning round some of these fan questions really quick, and then we'll say our sign-offs. Okay. Um, all right. Uh, Aaron, Christi, Aaron Christie asked from uh, Paul Michigan, Pullman, Michigan. He asked, uh, are we at a point to where we don't have to worry about Toonami being canceled again? Not in the foreseeable future. Okay. We're looking good. And um, is there a method to the madness with the game reviews? It's pretty eclectic set so far. Xavier Santana from Tallahassee, Florida asked. Um, the, game reviews come, the game reviews come from Gail and I, we are gamer. It's what we're playing, what we think would make for an interesting review. We try to find either our criteria are new titles or titles that may have been overlooked. So that's why you'll see a game like Catherine, or you'll see a game like Slender, or you'll see an Xbox Live game, because you, we want to tell people about games they may not have played before or review a game that everybody is talking about. Those are the two criteria. Anything that isn't that, like an older huge game like why don't we review mass effect one because everybody's played mass effect one so that's our criteria and the degree of frequency they come with is just based on the way we plan original stuff at toonami which is basically what do we got what can we do what can we talk about what can we make a promo for we just try to have something new every week and it's a huge challenge so game reviews are something we've always done and we can do quickly um relatively quickly depending on the length of the game. <laughs> All right. Alan Lenzit uh, asks, what, what is the name of the big bot seen with the Clydes and the Toonami bumpers? Say that again. What is the what? What, what the, is the, the name the of the bot? big robot that's seen with the Clydes? Mm. Blows up the rocks. We never, yeah, we never named, we never named those. We don't, we don't have a name for those. I always oh. felt like they were somewhat related to the Clydes. Um, I think Clydes are now up to Clyde 53, and if we did a new generation of Clydes, it would be Clyde 54, so maybe that's the Clyde 53.5, I don't know, or 52.5 actually is what it would be. Um, if I make, make a suggestion, let's call it the Allen. <laughs> in honor of that question. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. All right. The Allen 54, yeah. Allen 54. You're welcome, Allen. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, let me check the boards. And then I think we'll ask one more question and we will call it. We'll say our goodbyes. Um, okay. Oh, okay. I, I like this question. Uh, okay, two more questions. Uh, Cowboy sure. Bebop is getting a Blu-ray release in Japan. Once it gets the guaranteed license rescue how, and the company rescues it, gets Blu-ray rights, any chance you might get HD tapes? I mean, I would love that. I So, you know, my goal is to have everything on. To Dami BHD, so certainly if that were to happen, that would be huge, and we would we would want that. Um, that's a, you know I can't say for sure what's going to happen, but I would certainly love it. And um, about how long do airing rights typically last for a twenty-four to twenty-six episodes anime? Shoot, man, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like what do I look like? Uh, make I'm, this stuff. You know, they they got to ask Kim Manning. They got to ask Kim Manning those questions, and she ain't talking. I'm gonna go ahead and say, as long as the contract says. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you know, I understand everybody has a natural curiosity about how this business works, and if I didn't work at Cartoon Network, uh, I would sit down and walk everybody through what I know. But 
it's all proprietary information and companies don't like it being shared either down our partners or our own. So it's just, it's something that you're not going to get many people that work in the industry to talk about because, you know, it's private information that they don't want everybody talking about. All right. Um, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, I'm done. Believe me, I've talked enough. I'm getting <laughs> um, I think we're going to go ahead and blah, call blah. it there. Um, uh, the only the one thing I did want to say before before we end this, um, Fembo wanted me to make sure that she said thank you for bringing back Tsunami. Do, you do know who no. Fembo is. Well, yes. Thank you, for, thank you for watching. I mean, seriously, thanks to everybody that watches, even if you only watch it once. I mean, every single person that watched or tweeted about it or cares about it, thank you from the bottom of our hearts to everybody because... We loved working on Toonami. We worked really hard on it. And we will never, you know, we we will never not put 110% into it. We've done that for years and we're going to keep doing it. And it's because now, especially more than ever, we know that it affects people in a positive way. And that's really all anyone wants to do with their life is affect people's lives in a positive way. So it's incredibly rewarding to know that people are enjoying it. And if all it does is give people five minutes of a break from the worries in their day, then to me, it justifies Toonami's entire existence. Um, <laughs> and by go, the way, I'm sorry. And by the way, she she said uh, she'll gladly do the the new voice for Sarah if you want. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Jason. I just I just had to say that. I thought that was hilarious. He probably uh, already hates us to bring back Sarah. <laughs> Look, hey, just because I trended it twice, okay? Just, okay, stop. <laughs> uh, so before we go, I just, I just have one quick thing to say. Um, when I was a kid, I, I, you know, I watched Tsunami just like everybody else. And, um, you know, I, I don't know who edited it. I don't know who wrote it. But the Dreams promo from years ago, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that, that really, you know, that really affected me a lot. And um, yeah. You know that 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 kind of one that made me do what I do now. Like I'm I'm an editor now, and I'm just like all I want to do is cut music videos for Toonami. And you know, people thought I was <laughs> kind of stupid for for really kind of trying to be an editor, trying to go for that dream. And um, you know, every time I was down, I would I would look and I would look up that video on Toonami Digital Arsenal, and it taught me it was okay to dream. So I'd really like to thank you for that video. That video saved my life. Well, I'm very humbling and I'm really glad you didn't listen to your haters because fuck <laughs> haters yeah. and I and I'm really glad that that was inspirational to you and I will say that the person edited that who probably doesn't want me to say his name so I won't but the person who edited that still works at Toonami he still cuts music videos for us and um you know he'd be I'll tell him I'll relate this story to him. I'm sure. I'm sure you're going to be really happy to hear it. So, I know it seems really childish because it was just two minutes of not at all. Tunes, but it was <laughs> not at all. That's an, that that it's affected not, me so much, and I love that promo. It's not. It's not. It's not childish at all. It is not at all. It's the same thing that you that affected you in the way Star Blazers affected me. It's just a. It's a grand cycle, and hopefully you'll go on to do something that will affect somebody else. And that's just you know. Not to get too high-handed about it, but that's like being a human being, and then I, you know, that's what you're supposed to be doing. So, I'm really glad that that happened for you. Thank you. All right. Alrighty. Um, I think we're gonna go ahead and call it a night. Cool. Uh, thank you for being well, on, Jason. Thank you. 
We all appreciate yeah, it. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for having me and thanks for listening to me blather on for almost two straight goddamn hours. <laughs> Blathering on for actually two straight hours. Thanks, guys. And we're back from the Jason DeMarco interview. We fired Daniel and brought back Darrell. <laughs> That's what Daniel gets for not coming on when we tell him to come on. Because he's a bum. Yep. With and, a funny and, uh, you know, if he takes us seriously, he's going to shut down the site. So <laughs> this whole firing, rehiring thing, totally kidding. <laughs> we love you, Daniel. Don't shut us down. No, he'll just put up little My Little Pony for some odd reason. Oh, God. He is a pony. <laughs> He said Anyways. he threatened me to do. He threatened to do that to me. So, anyways, guys, what's coming up on the schedule? Um, well, we'll we'll see what, what we can do about Steve, and we've got other guests in mind that we want to do. Um, one of the things I'm trying to do for next weekend, because uh, a lot of people have asked for it, it's the the thing people have asked for the most besides Jason Marco and Steve Bloom. Um, it's the thing they've and asked for the most. It's a it's a call in show. We had to get a phone number to call Jason. And since we have this phone number now for three months, uh, we thought, hey, let's do a call-in show. So next weekend, uh, we're going to do a call-in show, and it will be live. We will be live streaming the podcast for the first time. Uh, Actually, you know, I, I'm thinking maybe since we can call somebody, I think we should have Femble on the show. What do you think? Yeah, we could have Femble on the show. I mean, Femble can just come on just... through the Skype app, so we'll just do that. I'm not going to. Um, me and Darrell already tried that, so no. We're going to call her. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was working for a second, and then it just kind of bummed. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. But we'll talk about it off the podcast. Trust me, you're not. When you hear what it is, you're going to be like, yeah, we're going to call her. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going to try to have a call-in show. Uh, this may be subject to change. We're not totally 100% on this. Because uh, we still have to do a lot of testing, uh, so we'll we'll keep you all informed. So we got to plug a couple things before we leave here. Yep. Uh, first of all, Kadesh Flow's new CD is out. It's on uh, kadeshflow.bandcamp.com. Uh, go there, download his new CD. It's called Nerd Crunk. Um, it's got a lot of good songs, especially the DBZ one, which I think is his best song ever. But um, go there and download it and uh, support him. Because we support him. Yep. And also, uh, with that, Tuesday, uh, Richie's new CD, I believe it's called Otaku King 2. Did I get that right? I think yes, so. Yes, sir, you did. We don't, have a, we don't have an agenda in front of us tonight, guys. Yeah, sorry. We're winging it. <laughs> well, if I, bitch, if I butchered that name, I'm, I'm sorry. But um, his new CD yeah, comes did. out on Tuesday. Shut up. And, um, yeah, so go to uh, richiebranson.com on Tuesday, and it should be up. Um, if there's another place to get it, obviously there, they will tell you where to go. So, um, as far as I know, it's free. Uh, Richie does this thing where he puts out a couple albums for free and then, uh, does one that's, uh, paid for. So, uh, support him. And go like buy Nerd EP if you haven't already. Yes, please go buy that as well. And, uh, the last thing I, I really want to just put out there is make sure that you guys, um, you know, help us out. Uh, we're going to be putting things on Twitter for you guys to help us out with the podcast and the website. So if you guys can help us out, we'd appreciate it. We got you, Jason. We're going to get Steve at some point. So please help us out. And I know Jose would love you if you did. Yes. <laughs> I would. Um, 
So so anyways, I got two you things. Long time, and then we can then we can call it quits. Oh, you now have a few things. Yeah, I have two. Things. I thought you wanted to leave. I do want to leave, but let's. I need to get this out there. What's going on with the podcast is uh, we've upgraded our bandwidth, so we should be okay. Um, we still need money though, because I I am still paying this out of my own pocket. So please donate to the podcast, buy a shirt, all that good stuff. Click ads. Um, and lastly, I have another podcast coming out, which I will plug once and then never again. It's called Flick the Switch. It's a movie podcast with my buddy Wes R. Ford uh, on Twitter. And uh, it's going to be, we're covering Terrence Malick this week. And it's a fun little podcast where me and my buddy switch movies. And we talk about them in depth. And uh, if you're a big movie fan, you should give it a listen. And we will never plug the show again here. Yes, because I will kill you if you do it again. Well, really, you know. I I still get final say on the show. I kind of edit it, so. Well, I'll just charge you a dollar every time you say it, yeah, and then I'll you'll Darrell charge you a dollar as well. Why are you going to charge me a dollar? <laughs> how would that even work? I'm poor. Okay, I need money. <laughs> but yeah, um, yes. please check out the podcast. <laughs> uh, we worked really hard on it, and um, you know, if you guys like it, send me send me uh, some feedback. Um, I'm not leaving. Once again, I'm not leaving this show, uh, especially since we have you know so much cool stuff to do for you guys. We got Jason, and I'm still going to say, you still ain't seen nothing yet. We got way more stuff coming for you. We're working a lot of different angles, guys. There's a lot of things in, in the oven that you don't know about. Yeah, like brownies. And now they know about the brownies, man. Damn, Damn it. Shut up, Darrell. Yeah. Okay. We're going to yes, have to ma'am. fire you again if you do this. Okay. Please don't fire me. Lord it, Lord it. Please don't <laughs> fire me. All right. It's time to end the show. <laughs> yes, Darrell, where can they find you? You wow. can find me on ukami underscore samurai seventy five at twitter dot com. All right, and you all can find me at j e a r g u m e d o on Twitter. You can email me, which a lot of you seem to be comfortable with, uh, at j e j e a r g u m e d o at tsunamifaithful dot com. Uh, we're gonna try to bring the feedback topics to the forums because um, people have asked for them. But, you know, I'll shut them down again if they get low activity because a lot of you seem more comfortable emailing me anyways, so we might just stick with that. Um, stay tuned to the forums, though, because we will be posting the phone number for the call-in show there. We're not going to post it on Twitter because I'll never see the end of it. So we're going to post and, it on the forums. Make and sure by the way, let me put this out there before Jose stops talking. Well, whatever. I stopped. Um, <laughs> Smoke. Smoke. But anyways, um, if when you see that number, that doesn't mean that you can just call it whenever you want. Yeah, um, we will have just, specific hours. Right. So look to make sure you read the instructions because if you call that number, we won't we won't answer it. Sorry. Yeah, please don't call that number. Like it's going to be annoying enough if I have Skype open for work and all of a sudden I get a phone call. Please don't call it. Yes, please don't. And we know love you long time either. Not yeah. phone sex, okay? We will block <laughs> you if you call us. If you call us between the hours we're not we're not on, we will block you. So, and then you will never be able to call into the show again. So, and sucks to be you guys. If yep. you do that. Make sure you call yeah, in we, during the specific hours that we set. We will blackball you, <laughs> and not mine. <laughs> Anyways, all right. So for me, you could find me on Tsunami News on Twitter. As well as my uh, Twitter account, which I'm trying to use, my personal Twitter account, which I'm trying to use more, uh, at Paul Pascrillo. Um, also, on the website, my username is tfadmin. Um, you can find me there. 
And I'll also plug uh, Daniel since uh, apparently he doesn't want to come on the show. Um, you can find <laughs> you can find him on Twitter at zero at zero gamer, and you can also fo- find him on the website as simply zero. Alrighty, all right. So, <laughs> so we want to say thank you one more time to Jason DeMarco. He was a huge, huge uh, help on the show and. And just a great guy overall. Like we, we can't say enough good things about Jason Marco. And by the way, I I just want to put out there that finally we have on the record that he does like my website. Yep, he likes us. <laughs> we have he it on likes the record. us. We I told it. you, didn't I tell you, Jose? Yep, I told you. All right, so <laughs> we will see you guys next week. All right, send us your and, feedback later. Yep, and for the podcast, peace. We're out. You said that on the third episode, if I remember correctly. Oh, we used it, so I'll probably use it again. Deuces? Deuces. Deuces! Like that. Yeah. Are you still recording?